Well, good morning. So glad to have you again here this morning as we worship together. If you could open up your Bibles to Romans, I mean, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. And if you don't have a ma message outline, please pick one up right out there at the center doors at the ministry counter. Over the past few weeks, we've been going through a series called Do Not Be Afraid. This will be the last message in this series. We talked about Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives uh, to present himself as the Messiah who has all authority. We talked about Jesus last week, that Jesus, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved that God was satisfied with the death of his son. It satisfied the justice of God, satisfied the holiness of God. I did not want to leave this series, though, without talking about the cross of Jesus. That's part of the passage we're looking at here, the cross of Jesus. That throughout this series, we've been going, uh, focusing on a passage of Scripture from the book of Revelation. Uh, we're written by the Apostle John, where John has an encounter with the resurrected Christ, where Jesus in all of his glory, and he shares with us that encounter in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, and John writes this, and we've been going through it, hopefully you've got it memorized, you kind of know, we've been picking this passage apart and using each one for the messages, the five messages we've been doing, but it says in verse 17, when I saw him, when I saw Jesus, John says, I fell at his face as though dead, then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. John, I mean, Jesus tells John, do not be afraid. Why not be afraid? He says, because of who I am. Do not be afraid. He, he goes on, he tells us, in the midst of this ever-changing and fearful and broken world, he says, you can have confidence and assurance because of the living one. Uh, the eternal one, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He's saying, God is with you. And, and Jesus tells John, do not be afraid, because Jesus died. He goes on and says here, Jesus said, I was dead. Jesus died, he was crucified, and he's telling John, and he's telling us, do not be afraid, because his death was not in vain. He said, I didn't die in vain, because it provided a way for us to know God. It paid for our sins. It defeated death. And through the cross of Jesus, there were no longer... Uh, separated from God, right? And maybe you ask the question, what did Jesus do? That What did he actually do that allows us to be reconciled to God? I mean, what did Jesus' life, death, and resurrection actually accomplish for us? Well, it's this beautiful, deep, and rich, and gracious truth called the atonement. The atonement. You've probably heard that word before. We use the words of reconcile or reconciliation when we talk about this word. And it speaks of this idea, hostile, uh, hostile relationship being made friendly. Or it talks about a broken relationship being redeemed or reconciled with what Jesus did for us. And maybe you ask the question, how did this relationship ever get broken to begin with? Or why do I need atonement and reconciliation in my life? Well, in the very beginning, we can trace back how this relationship got broken. In the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1, read how God created all things, right? He, he created this creation. How he powerfully spoke into existence all of creation is what the Bible says. And as he does so, each day he says, and we did a whole series on this, God says, it is good in what he created, right? It is good, it is good, it is good. Everything was as God wanted it to be. He said, it is good. And then he gets to day six of his creation, which is the most precious of his creation. It's the pinnacle of his creation. Of all that God created, the pinnacle was when he created mankind. He created Adam from the dust of the ground, and he breathes life into his body. He created Adam. In his image, in the image of God, he was created. Not physical image. God does not look like this. God is spirit, right? We were created to be God's representatives here on this earth. 
to represent him in terms of his character, of who he is. And then he, then he gives him ruler over creation, dominionship of over all creation. You're over all of this. And God walked with him in the cool of the garden. And Adam and Eve had this personal relationship with God in the cool of the garden. It's really cool. And he told them, I want you to enjoy the garden I've created for you. I've created this for you. Enjoy it all. You can eat from any plant in the garden. It's all for yours to enjoy, except the one plant you must not eat, the one tree of knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat of that, you will surely die, he told them. All the others you can eat from, just that one, do not eat from it. And then Satan comes along in the form of a serpent, crafty, sneaky, planting seeds of doubt as he does, making them believe that if they would disobey God this one time, that their life would be somehow better for it. Doesn't he do that for us today? He says, oh, if God's just holding something back from you, if you would just disobey him this one time, you see all that you can have by just doing this one thing. And Satan, the father of lies, the, the bringer of doubt, the creator of fear, the evil one, comes and causes destruction and destroys this relationship between God and, and Adam and Eve. And Satan causes Adam and Eve to believe this lie. And, and then when they take from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they eat from it, they disobey God. And at that point, sinner, sin enters into the world at that point. And the image of God was dramatically marred inside of man. Not destroyed, but it was marred. And we see the effects of sin around the world today. Death is effect of sin. Evil is effect of sin. It's all, we see it all around us. In Romans chapter 5, and by the way, I'm going to be in a lot of passages of Scripture today. I don't have time to say, will you turn there? Because uh, there's going to be a lot. So if you could just write them down and maybe listen as I read them, it will probably help you to try to keep up the turning. Romans 5.12, Paul writes this, a great passage of Scripture for us to understand. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, in this way death came to all men, because all have sinned. We were born as sinners. Our nature is to sin. When you're raising your children, you don't have to train them to be bad. We train them to be good, right? Because sin comes natural to all of us. We have a propensity to sin. Apart from God, we do our own thing. We sin. That's what we do. But to do good, we have to be trained to do that. So Satan still looks to spread his lies and doubts around the world. We see evil as rampant around the world. And yet Jesus tells us, he tells us, he says, do not be afraid. Even though Satan is around the world looking who, who, who he can devour, who can, looking who he can hurt and all those kind of things. Jesus tells you and I, do not be afraid. Because, if you have your outline, let me give you the first truth. The cross of Jesus, we have victory over Satan through the death of Christ. That you and I have victory over Satan through the death of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, helps us understand this. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too shared in their humanity... So that by his death, he, Jesus, might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. So what that means is Jesus took on humanity through you and I so that he could die on the cross for our sins. Remember, Jesus, when he was in heaven, in all his glory in heaven, God is spirit, Jesus is spirit. When he came to this earth, Jesus took on the form of a human body so he could identify with us. So he came to this earth, he was the perfect God-man, 100% God, but he was 100% humanity. He took on this bodily form so he could identify with us, so he could go to the cross and die for our sins upon that cross. Jesus' death on that cross defeated sin, 
It conquered the grave and gave us victory over Satan is what he accomplished on that cross for you and I. Amen? So Satan no longer has a hold on us, nor does his lies, nor does his doubts, nor does his fear. When we feel overwhelmed by the brokenness of this world and all the evil around us, and it's crashing down upon us, we need to remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins to give us victory over death and Satan is what he did. Because when those, we, we need to remember what Jesus did for us because those overwhelming days will come in our lives many times. When those difficulties come, when fears and brokenness many times can overtake us. And that happened to me many, many years ago when I got a call that my father had been sick for quite a while, and, but now he had a short time to live. And I went to see him. He was unconscious. He could not talk. I didn't know if he could hear me. And during that week of just watching my father die, that's what he was doing that final week was just watching him die, we were kind of stuck, stuck in those moments of uncertainty, stuck in those moments of helpless. You just feel helpless during those times. Just watch him. You can't do anything about it just to watch them. Wondering if this would be his last day as we watch him take breath after breath. And between each breath, it got longer and longer. And you wonder, how much longer is it got to take? And stuck in having to make a decision in that moment of time right there to decide a decision whether to fear or a decision to, to believe. And we all go through that, whether we're watching a loved one die, or a child sick, or even our own sickness or going through difficulties. We have to make that decision right then whether I'm going to fear or whether I'm going to believe. Believe that God is still good. Believe that God is still in control. Even when the moments seem like far from good and seem far from control, we believe that. Well, my father eventually passed away, but I did not need to fear because I knew where he was. For he had been reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, accepted Christ as Savior many, many years before that. So Satan had no hold on him. Death had no hold on him. Nothing could keep him from being present with, with God because of the cross of Jesus. Because through Jesus, we have victory over death. We have victory over Satan, amen? And it gives us that. For everyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of sins, we have victory because of the death of Christ. We have victory over death because of the death of Christ. He gives us victory. Not only does it give us victory over the Satan uh, through the death of Christ, number two, the cross of Jesus, through Christ's death, we see the extent of God's love for us. We, we sang a lot about his love for us this morning. To appreciate the extent of God's love, we have to understand the gravity of what he endured for us, the gravity of what he sacrificed for us. Just the events leading up to the crucifixion were traumatic. Uh, if you remember, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. And uh, he's there with his disciples. He's praying. His disciples are exhausted. Jesus is exhausted. And he says in Matthew 26, verse 38, my soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And not long after that, he was betrayed by one of his disciples. So these men came in and seized him, and they took him to the high priest's house. And over the course of that night, over the course of the many hours there, there were false witnesses that came in and accused uh, Jesus of all these kind of false accusations. And when Jesus finally said that uh, he, he declared his lordship, what did they do to him? They spit on him, they beat him, and they slapped him. They took him to Pilate, who was the Roman governor of Judea at that time, to be crucified. When he arrived before Pilate, what happened is Pilate was facing this tension because he didn't feel like Jesus deserved capital punishment, that he committed a capital offense, and yet he wanted to appease the Jews. So the first thing Pilate did to appease the Jews was he had Jesus beaten, he had him flogged. And you have to understand the flogging in the Romans' times, it wasn't just like somebody took out and 
beat you, punched you a few times. It was more than a simple beating that Jesus went through. The purpose of the flogging was to bring a torture, to bring someone almost to the point of death. And, and many people died from it. And what they would do, they went into flogging, they would strip the person of their clothing, and they would tie their arms up, and they beat them in the back from the, really, it's their neck all the way down to their feet, all the back of them. And they would hit them again and again with the whip, and they would take a whip, and the whip wouldn't just be a single strand whip, but it'd be a whip with many strands. And at the end of that whip, they might tie some bone and some stones, some rocks. They might tie uh, some metal on it and maybe some pieces of pottery on it. And they would hit the person with that whip and beat them as many times they thought that they needed to beat them. And soon after just a couple of hits, they would tear into the, his skin, to the flesh, to the muscles and tendons. And they would continue, continue to hit them until there was a severe loss of blood. And many people died from this. So after they flogged Jesus, Jesus was severely beaten, almost to the point of death is what we say, see. And then he was to be crucified, went to the crucifixion. Pilate's hands, hands him over to be crucified because the Jews weren't satisfied with the flogging. They weren't satisfied with the beating that Jesus took. And I want to read you what one person said about the crucifixion. He said this, crucifixion was the most cruel, vindictive, torturous death that anyone at any time in history could have ever experienced. It wasn't just about death. It was about degrading and humiliating the individual while causing the maximum amount of pain and suffering. It prolonged the death process as long as possible. And we know from the Gospel of Mark that at 9 a.m. Jesus was taken to be crucified. And he was stripped of his clothes. He was naked. And that's what they did so you'd be ashamed and you would be embarrassed. And they took his arms. They spread out his arms in this crossbar. And they would put a nail in his arms. And most historians said that uh, they couldn't put it in your hand because your hands being up on the cross uh, and pulling down on it, that they put it in your hand, that nail would pull out through your hand and you'd come down from the cross. So they usually put it in your wrist. In your median nerve, they would put it in your wrist, the nail. And it wasn't a household nail they put in his wrist, but it was uh, not like a 16-penny nail, but it was more like a railroad spike. It would be about six to eight inches, maybe a half to three-quarter inches wide, and they would drive one into each wrist to hold him there. And they would put both of his legs together, and they'd drive one stake and into both the legs to hang him up there. So Jesus is hanging there after he spent the whole night up, completely exhausted, no rest, having been beaten, having been flogged, his back severely beaten, uh, down to the muscle, down to the tin, rubbing on the back of that piece of wood, that, that cross that he's on, and now having a crown of thorns thrust upon his head, bleeding tremendously, bleeding severely there. First, he had to drag his cross there, right? And now he's hanging on the cross. And hanging on the cross, they're in utter exhaustion, completely tired. And now they, they come to the point that what happens at uh, crucifixions, they would suffocate. They could not breathe. So you're up there hanging, and you're, and you're kind of collapsed there, and you can't get air into your lungs. So the, what you have to do to get air in your lungs, you'd have to push up on those nails at your feet. So you can just inhale. So the excruciating pain that would be in your feet would be tremendous just to get a breath in your lungs. As soon as you get that breath in your lungs, you fall back down on your hands, and the pain would be excruciating in your wrist. Matter of fact, that's where we get the word excruciating. It comes out of the cross, the cross of Jesus. That's what Christ endured for you and me. And you look at that, and I just gave you a quick, quickly what it was like. Uh, and we can't imagine what he went through. And the question is, if we ask this, Christ is God, and he is, and he was, he is God, then why didn't he come down from that cross? 
Why did Jesus endure that? Why did he go through that? Why would he possibly, would he go through it? Because if I had his power, I wouldn't stay up there. I'd come down from that cross. Why did he do that? It wasn't because he was fatigued and tired. It wasn't because of exhaustion. It, it wasn't because of the flogging. He was beaten so badly. It definitely wasn't because of the nails that kept him up there. It wasn't because of the Roman soldiers were there. The reason Jesus stayed in that cross was because of his love. His love for you and me kept him on that cross. That's why the reason that God the Father sent his one and only son, it's a, it's a memory verse this week, in Romans 5, 8, where it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were condemned, while we were sinners, while we were hopeless, while we were at the enmity with God, we were shaking our fist at God, and we did not believe, and we're God-haters is what that's talking about. That's when Jesus chose to die for you and me upon that cross. So if there's any question in your mind about the love of God that he has for us, especially during your times of, of pain and suffering, those difficulties that you go through, it's essential that we look back at the cross, and it's through the cross we see the, the incredible love that God has for us. For God loves us. Do you understand how much love that he has for us? That he would send his son to die on the cross for your sins. That God really loves you. If you ever doubt it, just look at the cross. That he loves us so much to send his son. And Jesus loves you so much, more than you can understand, that he would be willing to give his life, God's life, Jesus, the God-man, for you, that he died for you, that he loves you. An un unconditional love, not because you're good. In spite of yourself, he loves you. And in the midst of our personal pain and suffering in this earth and the difficulties and trials we come through, how do we know we haven't been abandoned by God now? That's been a couple thousand years ago. How do we know that? It's because of his love. Because of God's love, we know that. Because God wasn't willing to spare his own son, right? We know that God hasn't abandoned us, that he loves us. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on that cross, we know that, that he loves us. We never have to question it again, right? That he loves us so much, and his love is powerful. And his love is personal for each and every one of us, that he loves us. And it not only transcends the troubles and hardships of this life, but it transcends death itself. That's the power of Christ's love. And that's the love we come to recognize at the cross, that God loves us. He demonstrates that love, not just saying it with words, just say, oh, I love you, and say, oh, that's great to hear. But he demonstrated his love by going to the cross and dying for you. That he loves us. He really loves us. And I want you to get through that through your mind. God loves you. Don't ever think, oh, I messed up. God, God loves you. doesn't matter what you did. He loves you. It's an unconditional love that Jesus died for all those faults, for everything that you've done that's been paid for at the cross, because God loves you. That's why he did it, because his love is amazing. His mercy is amazing. And we should always be in awe and wonder of his love and his mercy. And never take it for granted, for God loves us. So when you look at the cross, what do you see? Do, do you just see a cross that hangs around someone's neck as jewelry, or do you just see an old piece of wood? Is that what you see at the cross? So we're reminded that the cross is a message of victory, right? We've looked at that. It's a message of victory. What a great message to all of us who need new victory. Victory over addictions, victory over temptation, victory over the time of death that comes in our lives. That's the message of the cross, the message of victory. But the cross is also, we're reminded, the cross is a message of love. The immeasurable love that God has for us, that he would send his 
only, one and only son, he would not spare his son. And the measurable love that Jesus has for us, that he'd be willing to come and die for us. And that love of his that held them up there on that cross. It's amazing, right? The love of God. But both of those messages are, are very, very important. But those, both of those messages together are not enough. That's not the complete message of the cross. You know, if you have a diamond ring, a diamond ring has many facets upon it, right? You see many facets on the diamond ring. The cross is the same way. There's many facets to the, to the cross. We've been reminded of two of them. But the cross of Jesus, number three in your outline, the central focus and core of the cross, this is the central point, is substitution. It goes beyond victory. It goes way beyond love. It's a message of substitution. Where, where John the Baptist, in the point of his life, in John chapter 1, verse 29, where he looks, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He goes, look, he's here. It's the Lamb of God. And that term, Lamb of God, would take people back to the Old Testament. The Jews would understand that, that when they sinned against God and sinned against the community of God, they had to bring, they had to ask for forgiveness of sins, and they had to bring a, 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 a sacrifice. And, and that sacrifice what was the way to communicate to the, to the community of faith that they had made things right with God. When they saw them bring that sacrifice, they sacrificed that to God. They realized they made things right with God. And the community of faith would understand that. They made things right with God. And there was a picture of the shedding of blood. There's a reminder that what the Bible says, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And all of that, every one of those sacrifices was a pointer to that day ahead, way ahead, where the Lamb of God, Jesus, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, would come, would be placed upon the cross and die on the cross for our sins. There were all pointers to that. To the perfect spotless Lamb of God who would come and die once and for all for sins, once and for all at that time. And it was Jesus. So the cross tells us a lot about ourselves. The cross tells us a lot about the world in which we live in. But the cross tells us an awful lot about our God that our God is holy, he's without sin, that he can't even look at sin. Do you realize it? God can't even look at sin. When his son was up on the cross and sin was placed upon him, his father, the father, had to look. God had to look away from his own son. He became sin for us. God can't even look at sin. The cross tells us as well that not only is God holy, but God is just, that he hates sin. He hates sin. And, he, and, and because of his justice, because of his wrath, he has to deal with sin. He can't just look away at sin. He just can't look at it and say, oh, that's sin. He's got to deal with it. And there's a great verse that gives us a picture of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, where the apostle Paul says, what I received, what I received from Jesus, he's saying, I passed on to you as first importance. The most important thing is this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So Christ's death brought to us, what he's saying, forgiveness, life, and then eternal life is what he brought to us. And we became reconciled with God by faith through what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross. That's the main message of the cross. It's way beyond victory. It's way beyond love. It's the substitutionary death on the cross for you and me is what it's talked about. That's what the cross is. And this is so important for us today because that's one meaning of the cross that people want to delete in this world. Even some theologians want to delete that of the cross. So even the verse of a song like we're going to sing this morning, In Christ Alone where it says the wrath of God was satisfied. Many people don't like that because it's offensive. And they don't want a God uh, uh, to think of a God that's more than the love of God. 
They just want to embrace the love of God. That's all they want. I just want the love of God. You hear many people talk about God's love, and God is such an amazing, loving God. But in doing that, when they just embrace the love of God, they, they want to delete the fact that God is holy, that God is just, that God hates sin, and he's a God of wrath. And he has to deal with sin. He has to deal with it. He can't say, sin. I've dealt with it by words. No, he has to deal with it. What is he going to do with this sin? And they want to eliminate the blood of Jesus. They want to get rid of it. They don't want to look at the blood of Jesus. They don't like that. Unfortunately, for years, songs were written where many of the more recent songs are written where they really talk about the death and the blood of Jesus. But for many years, songs were written because people didn't want to talk about the blood. They didn't want to talk about the death of Jesus. One theologian wrote this. He said, we've got to eliminate this thinking about God sending his son to die on the cross for people's sins. He says that's nothing more than divine child abuse. Think about that. Listen, more than anything else, the death on the cross was a substitution that Jesus took our place. He took our place. He was our substitute on the cross. He didn't deserve that. It was my sins. It was your sins that placed him upon the cross. He substituted in my place. That's what you have to think of. So when I look at the cross, I have to see myself. I have to see what's my sins that placed Jesus upon that cross. When I look at Jesus, the spotless, blameless Son of God, who has no sin, when I look upon him, I have to say, no, no, it was my sin that placed Jesus upon that cross. It was your sin that placed him upon that cross, not his. He wasn't there for his sin. He wasn't there to just die because, hey, this is a good thing to do, to show sacrifice. No, he died because I sinned, and my sin placed it there. Even though Jesus went that horrible beating, and that tremendous pain on the cross, which was horrendous. The worst part of the cross goes way beyond the physical beatings. When Jesus was sweating drops of blood, it wasn't about the, the physical beating he was going to endure. It was about the worst part of it that God the Father laid on Jesus was your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world on Jesus. And Jesus paid a debt that he didn't owe for us. Think about that. He paid a debt he did not owe. He paid your debt. He paid your sin debt upon the cross. He paid my sin debt on the cross. He did not owe a debt. He didn't owe anything. But you and I did. And we couldn't pay it. It was a debt that was insurmountable, that we couldn't pay before a holy, just, righteous, perfect God. So Jesus paid all of our debts. If the sin debt has been paid completely for all of us by him substituting himself for us on that cross and dying for us. In Isaiah 53, I love Isaiah 53. It's a prophecy of Jesus coming to this earth. But I changed the plural to singular of three verses. And I'm all right with the plural. But when it gets to singular, it kind of bothers me a little bit because it really makes it personal. Let me read Isaiah 53, verses 4, 5, and 6, where it says this. For he, and put your place in here, for he, Jesus, took up my affirmities and carried my sorrows. And yet I considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, afflicted. But Jesus was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was upon him, and by his wounds I am healed. Like a sheep, I have gone astray. I have turned to my own way, and the Lord has laid on him my iniquity. The cross is about victory. The cross is about love. But the cross, most importantly, most importantly, is about substitution. That Jesus took our place. He took your place on that cross. 
He paid your sin, sin debt, a debt he did not owe. He paid for you. That that reconciled, broken, sinful man, sinful woman could be reconciled to a holy God. Jesus did it all for all of us. He paid the price for all of us on that cross. He paid every one of your sin debts on that cross. Every one of us has been paid. And that's the salvation. That salvation that he made available, that death on the cross is made available to every one of us. When we come to understand who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, that he's God. He's just not another man, but he is the Son of God. He's God. And that he died on the cross for your sins. He was your substitute upon that cross that he died for. You've got to understand that. He just didn't die for sins. He died for yours. He was your substitute. He paid your sin debt. He paid my sin debt. And now we respond to him by saying, God, I understand that I'm a sinner, and I know that you died on the cross for my sins. And by God's grace and through faith, I now receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, that he died for me, that he was my substitute, and he paid my sin debt, and I accept him as my Savior by faith. I, I pray that you've done that, that you know for sure that the cross is more than just a piece of jewelry, more than just a piece of old broken wood that you know that, that the cross is victory, that the cross is love, but the cross has to be, has to be substitutionary. It has to be. That's the importance of it, that Jesus took your place in my place upon that cross, that he paid for our sins. That's what the cross is about. 150 years ago, a man wrote these words, and I want to read them to you. I'm going to try to read them to you. It's the old broken, Eng the old English, not broken, old English, and sometimes hard for us to understand. But the words are very powerful. Listen to what he says. He says, do you not hear it? If you take away the blood of sprinkling from the gospel, you have silenced it. It has no voice. It will be gone. Oh, they say the gospel has lost its power. With what words they have made it a dumb gospel? How can it have power when they take away that which is life and speech? Unless the preacher is evermore preaching of his blood, sprinkling it by the doctrine of faith, his teaching has no voice, either arouse the careless or to cheer the anxious. If ever should become a wretched day, which I believe it's here today, all of our pulpits should be filled with modern thought. And the old doctrine of substitutionary sacrifice shall be exploded, then will all remain no word of comfort for the guilty or hope for the despairing. Hushed will be forever those silver notes which now console the living and cheer the dying. A dumb spirit will possess this sullen world, and no voice of joy will break the silence, the blank, to break the blank silence of despair. The gospel speaks the propitiation of sin, and if that be denied, it speaketh no more. Those who preach not the atonement exhibit a dumb and dummy gospel. Mouth it, but speak it not. But they that make it are like an idol. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that. See, without the message of the cross, the resurrection has no meaning. Without the message of the cross, we are still in our sins. Without the substitution, there's still sin to pay for all of us. Thank God for the cross of Jesus. Thank God for Jesus going to that cross. It's all because of the cross that you, you and I have any hope of eternity to be with Jesus. It's through the cross of Jesus. What he did for us, substituted for us, dying in our place on that cross is what he did for you and I so that we can have forgiveness of sin. And thank him for the cross of Jesus. And that's what I wanted to segue right now into communion. That we come to communion, we realize as we take the elements, kind of laid out what it means, 
the elements as Jesus gave, the, the elements represent, the, the, the bread represents the Jesus' body, the cup represents Jesus' blood. And as we come and we take communion this morning of the cross, we remember, we thank God it's a message of, of uh, victory, right? The message of victory. That Jesus gave us victory over Satan, sin, and death. Amen? Without the cross, we wouldn't have that. It's a message of love. It demonstrates the love that God has for us, that he did not spare his one, one and only son, but sent him to die on the cross. It demonstrates the love that Jesus has for us, that he's willing to come. He had to endure all that for you and I. And then he becomes sin for you and I. And it, and it demonstrates his love that held him up on that cross. But it's a message of substitution, that Jesus took your and my place upon that cross. He paid your sin debt upon that cross. Paid for all your sin. A, a debt that he did not owe, he paid for you and I. And we come, and we recognize what he did for us, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But more than that, he was buried. But more than that, he rose from the dead. That he conquered death, Satan, and sin. And because of that, you and I have hope in eternity that one day we will not stay in the grave. That grave cannot hold us. That we will be with Jesus forever and ever. And it's all because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So today, remember the cross as we take the elements. And if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, we invite you to partake of us this morning. Uh, we're not going to pass the elements out. We're going to ask you to come up and receive the elements. But once you receive them, go back to your table and we'll take them all together, okay? But as we come, as you come and get the elements, go back to your seats. Just remember what Jesus did. Remember the, the message of the cross of victory and love, but it's a message of substitution that Jesus died for you. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We praise you, God, because, Lord, there is no one, there's absolutely no one like you. One that would come, Lord, and, and who you are is God, who created everything into this world by just your powerful word. You have all that power, omnipotent power. And Lord, you were willing to step down from your throne and come and die for us. My mind can't comprehend that kind of love. My mind can't comprehend a God who loves me like that because I don't deserve that kind of love. I sinned against you. I sinned against you and you came down to pay my debt. So, Lord, the only thing we can say is thank you. only thing we say is you tell, tell us to remember what you did for us. To never a day go by that we don't remember what Jesus paid on that cross for us. He paid my sin debt. He paid our sin debt. And he paid it fully. He didn't do part of it and say, you got to do the rest. No, it's fully paid. It's finished. It's complete. It's fully paid by Jesus. And so, Lord, we come and only thing we can say is thank you. Only thing we come is, is never get tired of hearing that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, but forever and ever be in awe and wonder of what he did for us. So when you come on bended knee this morning, remembering Jesus, sacrificing, substituting for us, and paying our debt. And I pray for, Lord, for each person here, Lord, to just spend time remembering Jesus. And if you leave in his glory and come into the earth to pay in that debt, willing to come to sacrifice his life, so as we take these elements, Lord, help us to remember the body that you gave and the blood that you shed for us. And Lord, we ask all these things in the most precious name, in the name of Jesus.